And now, uh, you know, those of you who have been following along with us, we have concluded the book of Zephaniah, and today we're turning to 2 Corinthians just for this Sunday. I wanted to uh, give a little bit of a break before we go into uh, 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 2 Thessalonians, get all my first and seconds correct here. wanted to take a little bit of a break and, and just encourage you in regard to evangelism. I want to encourage you in regard to evangelism, making the gospel known. And we're going to use a, a text that is familiar uh, to many of us. We often quote this verse um, or these verses, talking about reconciliation with God, talking about being a new creature in Christ and things of this nature. But I thought it was fitting to put this in between Zephaniah and 2 Thessalonians because we've been talking uh, constantly about the day of the Lord and that day that is coming when uh, the people of, of God will be retrieved, uh, saved from the wrath that is to come and that wrath will be poured out against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness, those who disobey the gospel. So I think when we have considered, while we have considered the day of the Lord, it gives us two really big motivations for sharing the gospel. First, other people's lost condition. Again, we, we get this. This is usually where we go when we talk about sharing the gospel. We're like, well, these people need it and, you know, they're going to endure uh, the wrath of God if they do not hear it and, and we have to make it known. Yes, that is one motivation. Other people's lost condition. We ought to be motivated that way. We ought to be uh, considerate of their eternal state, the state of their souls. It ought to cause us grief just like it did the Apostle Paul. Wishing that he could be cut off himself from God for the sake of his people. I wish they could know him and I would willingly take hell if they could all know him. We ought to be motivated in that way. But there's a second motivation. I would say it's even more important. You say, what could be more important than people uh, enjoying salvation, Matt? Well, God's glory lost condition, dead in sin, walking that broad road. But more importantly, we ought to be motivated by God's glory. We ought to be relentless in our gospel preaching because our desire is that one more mouth, one more life, one more soul would be turned into a worshiper of the one true God. And he deserves every bit of glory that can come from an individual soul and every bit of glory that can come from every soul. And so we want to see more and more saved for the glory of God. Another voice singing in that eternal choir. You didn't know you were going to be in the choir in heaven, did you? The new creation. I don't know what your voice is going to be like. It may sound as bad as it does right now. I'm just kidding. Y'all sound good. It's mine that don't sound so good. I really enjoyed those songs this morning. Really enjoyed those. All right, so uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21. 17 to 21. Uh, I'll give you a heads up. There's, there's a lot here that we're not going to dig real deeply into. I want to get our point across today about evangelism. 
But I want to give you the context as I typically do. In this passage, Paul is using his own ministry as a template to show us how we, a community of Christ's ambassadors, may be faithful in our responsibility to make the gospel known. So this passage sits in the middle of a very long detour. If you're reading through 2 Corinthians, you start to notice in chapter 3, it's like he gets off topic and then he goes on this this wonderful explanation of the glories of Christ and then he comes back around chapter 8, starts talking again about the things for which he wrote. So uh, you know that person that can tell a story, but it's like they never get to the end of it because they get bogged down in all the details. Uh, y'all know, some of y'all are like, yeah, it's, it's that person next to me. Um, well, that's what Paul does, but he didn't get bogged down in meaningless details. He got caught up in the glories of Jesus, writing a letter, and then he starts to just, man, we get to see, unveiled, chapter 3, the glory of the Lord, and this comes from the Spirit. So Paul is doing that, but this is situated within that whole context. In these preceding verses in chapter 5, really verses 11 through 15, 16, in these preceding verses, he defends his ministry by describing how the Lord Jesus directs and controls his own actions as well as the actions of his fellow missionaries. He's saying, we're not out here for our own glory or fame, but because Jesus sent us. He even says in these verses, like, if we look out of our mind, it's for God. But if we make sense, we look normal, it's for your sake. So he's, he's, he's showing them they have been sent by Jesus. And his aim uh, under the lordship of Jesus is to see others who were dead in sin living for Jesus. Verse 15, what does it say? And he died for all those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Then in verse 16, he explains how the perception of others changes because of the spiritual awareness in Christ. That is, we see things differently when the Spirit of God opens our eyes. In verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's simply saying, like, we don't look at you and measure things like the world measures things. We don't look at Christ the way we did before we knew him. We saw him as an opponent. Paul, Saul, he was an enemy. We don't, we don't measure you. and we don't, we don't measure Christ according to those standards anymore. Our, our standards have been changed. In fact, we see all things differently from now on is what he's saying. We'll talk about that a little more. Let's read these remaining verses in chapter 5, 17 through 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation. Your Bible may say creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray once more. Father, open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, just as we have mentioned. We don't regard other people or even Christ according to the flesh any longer. We don't regard your word as simply a book. But it is truly the word of life. It is truly from you through the pens of men who are carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then, Father, we know history has shown, proven the Bible over and over and over again. We're thankful for all these things which confirm our faith, which confirm our trust in your word. And so show us your word that we may see the word, which is Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so the call today is, is clear. We're ambassadors. So the theme this morning, Christ's ambassadors share the gospel with the aim to persuade others towards saving faith. Christ's ambassadors share the gospel with the aim to persuade others towards saving faith. Now, this theme is rooted in the whole section and it's really stated explicitly in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Then again, in verse 20, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, folks, we have this responsibility as ambassadors to make the gospel known, to share the gospel, and to do it in the hope of helping somebody see that beautiful Jesus that we know, that we worship. I want to give you three, I forget my word, Kyle, it's on there, it's not on my notes. Three truths, there you go. Three truths about our salvation. Three truths about our salvation. First, from verse 17, God saves to transform. God saves to transform. So you understand that when somebody comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, there is a transformation that begins at that moment. You remember, and, and just several weeks ago, we heard from uh, Dr. Phil Newton as he preached on being born again. There's something new that starts at that moment of conversion when the Lord Jesus saves us through the power of the Spirit and the, the preached gospel. There's something that happens that begins this work of transformation. And Paul narrows it down to that point of conversion. And he says in verse 17... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. I want to give you a couple of truths here that, can, that are connected, all right? First is, if anyone is in Christ, that speaks to union. If anyone is in Christ, that speaks to union, okay? So being in Christ, there's something that happens when somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus that really is a miraculous thing. We are then united to Christ. I want to be careful in explaining this, but the way that marriage is portrayed in Ephesians chapter 5, 
You know all this. I've told you numerous times, and you've read it numerous times. The, the, the picture that marriage ought to portray is that picture of Christ and his church. Christ and his church. You know the two flesh become one. There's something special that happens when somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus, so much so that they are united with Christ in union with him. And you go throughout the whole New Testament and you see the phrase, in Christ. Go to the book of Ephesians. I challenge you to walk through the book of Ephesians and just underline or circle or highlight or whatever. Every time you come to the phrase, in Christ. And when you read that phrase, in Christ, it ought to just wash over you with that grace of God that has made you one with him. Union. Union with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, says, okay, so that's first truth. If that truth is yours, you're united with Christ. Then secondly, that transformation occurs. There's union, but there is always, 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 always subsequent transformation. You can't be in Christ and still be in the condition of your lostness. You're in Christ, which makes you, as he says right here, a new creature, a new creation. Now, I think there's some significance in the phrase creation, new creation. I think if we interpret it creature, which many do, I think it limits what is in view here. New creation, the, the same word is used to describe the whole of the redeemed created order. So I think when we say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, I think that helps tie us to the fact that it's not just about me getting saved. It's about a, 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 a cosmic redemption where God, Colossians 1, through Christ is reconciling all things. And we see that right here in this text. All things are reconciled to God through the blood of the Son. So, from the moment of your conversion, your thinking changes. You are now a new creature. You have a new way of seeing the world and your life and others, and this is something that can't be undone. It's not something that can be taken off and put back on like a pair of sunglasses. When you get caught up in sin, believer, when you get caught up in sin, you often try to ignore the spiritual realities that you're now aware of, Things like the fact that Christ reigns now, that all things are headed toward that great and terrible day. The fact that sin is real, the fact that hell is real, the judgment is real, and people must hear this. In your sin, you're like, I just don't want to think about those things. You walk in your sin and, and, and you, you, you don't want to acknowledge that this is the reality. It's almost like, as a believer, when you get caught in sin, it's like you want to live in some other uh, alternate universe. But then you want the privilege of picking these things back up when it comes to the truth of the gospel and the blessings of knowing God and all that comes with our salvation. In this transformation, when it starts at conversion, you automatically see these things and you can't unsee them you can't escape them. 
And when the Spirit, through the Word and through His people, recovers you from your rebellion, you embrace once again these realities, and you thankfully remember what God has done for you. This transformation forever severs you from what you used to be, the walking dead. Dead to God, as the Word says. Dead to God but alive to sin, living by the world's values, under the control of the flesh, seeking vanity, walking in folly. There was an old order of things that characterized your life before Christ, but that order is incompatible with the order of the things that made you new. He says, the old has passed away. Behold, The new has come. Now, alive to God, you seek him. Given the spirit, you rely on him. Clothed in Christ's righteousness, you become like him. And as a new creature, aware of those things, though your flesh tries to suppress these things, when it comes down to it, you would never exchange what you are now. And all the things that you have, for what you were. <clears throat> I think about old and, and new. Somehow, as, uh, it came up in conversation recently, I don't know where, but somehow there is still a blockbuster that exists. Y'all know blockbuster. Sometimes I, 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 I grieve the fact that my kids are never going to know what blockbuster was. Is that a weird thing to be sad about? I'm sure all, we all have those kind of things. There's a blockbuster that still exists. I don't, I don't know how. I think maybe just the nostalgia of it. People literally go and pick up their VHS movies, rent them, and then bring them back in two to three days or whatever. It still exists. Well, we have moved on from that. <laughs> And so why would you want to go back to something that is so primitive and and cumbersome and poor quality and all these other things that we could use to describe it? Why would you go back to that when you have the new way of things? You know, you can push buttons and stream a movie directly on your TV. Not even have to stand up to do it. But somehow a blockbuster still exists. You get the idea. Why would we, why would we dabble in the things of the old man or think fondly on the old man or the things that we used to do when we've been rescued from those things? We are a new creature. There is a new order. There's a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, and that comes from the Spirit, as he's been describing in the previous passages. God saves to transform. Secondly, God saves to send. God saves to send. Verses 18 and 19. I want to remind you here that Paul is speaking of his own ministry as he provides sort of a template for all who belong to Jesus. And these two verses are parallel, 18 and 19. This means they essentially say the same thing 
in slightly different ways. Listen to them again. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He gives us this emphasis here, I think, to show us how important the ministry that God's given us is. And he gives us also in these verses a few, a few things to take note of. First, God initiates our salvation. God initiates our salvation. Verse 18, all this is from God. All this. You may ask the question, if you're reading along in your Bible on your own, you may ask the question, what is he referring to all this? We don't know exactly what it is, but we know it's at least the previous verse, which is the fact that you're a new creation and all that comes with being a new creation. All this is from God. It's your transformation and all its implications Here it is. It is from God. God initiates our salvation. If God had not initiated our salvation, then we would not be saved. It's his divine plan from before the ages began. It's his story unfolding to his own glory. It's happening according to his will alone. But lest you think like a deist, believing that God sort of wound up the clock and then set things in motion only to take a passive role in the passing of time, Scripture teaches that God orchestrates all things. What things? All things. I want to be clear here. There is nothing that happens that is not orchestrated according to the counsel of God's will. Ephesians 1.11. All things happen according to the counsel of God's will. But Matt, bad things happen? Yes. You know what God does with those bad things? He turns them around for your good. Go back to Joseph again. All things happen according to the counsel of his will. And the only reason that you and I have salvation is because he gave it to us. You didn't earn it as a reward. You didn't muster up the faith. You didn't reason your way to God. You didn't love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength enough that he was impressed with you. You didn't love your neighbor enough to impress him either. In fact, you love, 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved you. You love him, and you can love other people, Christian, only because he first loved you. Anything other than that God kind of love is just a faint reflection That real love is that love that was demonstrated. And now while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God initiates salvation, but God also reconciles us to himself. Secondly, it's fitting that we heard from the passage earlier that connected justification, that is, you're being made right with God, declared right with God. It moves from justification into Reconciliation. David Garland points out that reconciliation 
accounts for the relational side of our justification. So again, justification being declared righteous, it almost has a courtroom vibe to it. And, and if you, you get that scene in the courtroom, I've been in court. <laughs> really, really, Matt, I want to hear about that. That's, that's, what, that's what you're thinking. I don't know what you, what you went to court for. Um, I've been in court, and, and you know, in court, that judge, he doesn't have to know anything about you personally. He does not have to have a relationship with you to declare you just or, or guilty. He doesn't have to know you. But he can make that declaration. So here's what, here's what reconciliation does in addition to our justification. While he can declare the judge, he can declare someone just without any knowledge of that person. Reconciliation shows how God not only declared righteous through his son's atoning death, just covered in verse 21 as we heard, but also entered into a restored relationship with us upon doing so. It's not just that you're justified, but you're also reconciled with the one who is the judge. Beauty in the gospel, folks. Beauty. The way he describes it points to the fact that we were saved out of the world. You notice the words here. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We were saved out of the world, transferred from the kingdoms of darkness to the kingdoms of light, the kingdom of light. And this is that John 3.16 kind of for God so loved the world kind of love. The revelation of the Son, the gospel event, these are given to retrieve lost people from the sure end of destruction. He reconciles us to himself. Thirdly, very briefly, God entrusts us with ministry. And as he says right here, it's the ministry of reconciliation. So as a believer and a follower of Jesus, if that's you, you have a part to play in seeing others come to know the saving and reconciling grace of God. You're a gospel minister. Now, we live in a culture where the word minister has sort of a, an unbiblical connotation with it. Ministry is just what happens when Christians do what they're supposed to do. And so if you, if you uh, go ahead and adopt the, the mindset that as you are here, you know, and I have beat this into the ground. Like, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you have a part to play. You, you have a responsibility in making one another more like Jesus. And so you understand ministry. I think you understand ministry well, because I see you all doing that well. You understand ministry well here, but you know when you go out into the world, you're still a minister. So think and live and move with the mindset that I'm a minister of reconciliation. And I believe that's going to help you have evangelism sharing the gospel on your mind regularly. In fact, he moves from minister. In the next verses, he starts to talk about an ambassador. You're an ambassador. 
So that brings us to the third point. God saves to save more. God saves to save more. Verses 20 and 21. Hey, it's a real simple explanation. You know, some maybe have wondered, why doesn't God just, when he saved us, just sort of rapture us up right there? Well, you know the answer. It's obvious because your job now as a new creation is to make what saved you known. It's to tell folks about Jesus. It's to tell people how they may know the God who created them. They may know his will. They may know who they are. Actually, not all the lies about what the world is saying they ought to be, but who they are in Christ. And I love when Paul supplies the illustration, what do ambassadors do? What do ambassadors do? Think about it for a moment. Ambassadors speak and act on behalf of a higher authority. So if we're all ambassadors of Christ, believers, what does that make the local church? The embassy of the kingdom. It's another sermon for another day, a sermon many of you have heard. You know, when we come together as a local church, we can call it, very, I think, biblically, we could call it the embassy through which not only is your citizenship in heaven visible and verified, you know, when you're baptized, we're saying, hey, Matthew 16, authority, we're, we're binding this. That's what he says to Peter. You have the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he's speaking about the church, one of two occasions where Jesus uses the word church in Matthew. The second one being chapter 18 and church discipline, you know. So when we come together, you come and see the kingdom here and you show the kingdom here. And when we depart from here, we're still living under the authority of Christ, with the authority of Christ, and speaking the authoritative gospel to people who are stuck in the old order, under the control of those fleshly whims, following the course of the world, taking the commands from the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, little g. We're ambassadors. Speaking on behalf of Christ, and that's exactly what he does in this verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. He sent me. He sent me to tell you this. Be reconciled to God. We note a couple of things here as well. We're almost done. First off, God is working through us. God is working through us. It says, God making his appeal through us. 
So I want to go back to our theme real br briefly. We aim to persuade. We aim to persuade. But you know, the persuasion doesn't really come from us. It's not human word choice or clever speech or strategic argu argumentation that wins the day. Unfortunately, y'all hear me, unfortunately, many of you believe it is. You know how I know? Because you don't share the gospel. And if we get down to the reasons why, you're trusting yourself rather than trusting God. Your faith is misplaced. You're convinced. Well, just, I'm not good with words. Oh, is it, is, it, is, it your, is it your power to save? I'm not, good with, I'm not good with words. Maybe if I knew a little more, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to share the gospel. Maybe, maybe if I could have some training before I go speak on behalf of Christ. No, let me ask you a question. Are you a new creation in Christ? Then speak of his glory. Speak of his glories. Share that message of salvation. Just tell people what he did for you, if nothing else, through his death and resurrection. No, you need to trust God in that gospel proclamation, not yourself, because it is God who makes his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. And when we remind ourselves of the word, our excuses for not evangelizing become just as ridiculous as they are. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that when we speak the truth of God's word, the saving message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will take what we say to accomplish the purposes for which that word is sent. And as we pray week after week, every single Sunday morning, that word will never return void or empty. It will, in fact, as Isaiah writes, accomplish everything God intends for it to do. Hey, look, I'm guilty of the same unbelief. When I stand up to preach to you and I start to think, man, if I just word this cleverly, if I just give this emphasis here, if I just do this and I do that, then I can make these people understand and walk in obedience. Do you know how, do you know how frustrating that would be for a pastor? And so I have to constantly remind myself when I stand before you and when I go in the world and I'm, I'm, I'm plagued with those same doubts and those fears and what if I don't make sense? And what if they hate what I'm saying? What if they reject me? I'm plagued with those same things, but I have to commit myself just like you to the truth that I just must speak and let God do his work. He will do it. 
So our gospel proclamation, our gospel conversations are really, really seasoned with the heart of God that has taken over our heart. And this is why, with the aim to persuade, he says, we implore you. We implore you with, with, with a deep sense of longing for the salvation of lost people. It doesn't mean you just go out and speak the gospel with no passion. Oh, well, I just need to say these things and you need to hear them. No, that would be terrible. And I'll tell you what, that makes for some really bad preaching too. Well, I just need to tell you these things and then God will do what he needs to do. No, I, I am impassioned by the message. And when you go out into the world, believer, you ought to be impassioned. You ought to be like Paul. I'm imploring you. Be reconciled to God. And so we make these impassioned pleas to our neighbors, to our family, to our co-workers, to our friends, to strangers, to enemies, to be reconciled to God. And hopefully through that, be reconciled with you as an enemy. Be reconciled to God, to know God through Christ. God is working through us. Finally, God is reconciling through Christ. God is reconciling through Christ. Verse 21. This passage is, is not aimed at atonement necessarily. However, this is one of the most majestic statements on what actually happens at the cross of Christ, happened at the cross of Christ. What, in effect, in, in effect took place when Jesus hung on the cross. Okay, listen to the verse uh, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus, hanging nailed to the cursed tree, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The one spotless, the one perfect, the one obedient at every turn, the eternal son became sin. The sin that characterizes me and you, the offenses against a holy God, the corruption that plagues us in our spiritual deadness. This was accounted to Jesus on that day he drank the full cup of God's wrath. And in what C.S. Lewis called the great exchange, we become the righteousness of God in him. So you see how the gospel works. And maybe we can rejoice in this as we respond this morning. But you see how the gospel works. How God is both just and the justifier how he could reconcile people who were rebellious back to himself and not lose some aspect of who he is. Jesus is credited with our sin and punished as our sin. But he didn't just pay our debts and get us back up to zero and say, okay, now go do, do good. No, in fact, 
you would need another Savior at a later date, probably within moments. He didn't just get you back up to zero. The great exchange is that he is credited with all of our sin, but then by faith, we're credited with all of his righteousness. And maybe one of the most helpful illustrations that, that I think the Bible points us to is the fact that Jesus was baptized. We have all of his righteousness so that when the Father looks upon us, he sees the account of Jesus. So we think about, well, why was Jesus baptized? And a lot of people ask this, why was he baptized? He didn't need salvation. He wasn't like, you know, transferred from a you know, dark kingdom to a kingdom of light. No, none of this. Jesus was baptized, as he says, this had to happen to fulfill all righteousness. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Not even your own baptism in the immersion of water before the congregation of the saints, which verified your faith publicly, not even that was an act that was righteous enough for you to earn salvation. Even Jesus had to be baptized because your baptism won't save you. Look, folks, and even beyond all that, we are credited with every good work of Jesus. Every point where we disobeyed, he obeyed, and God sees our obedience through him. Man, the gospel is so good. It's just so good. That's why a bunch of folks like us get together every week so we can think about the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ once again and then worship him for it. I want to conclude with a few bits of advice, reminders, I'll say. Uh, these come from Mac Stiles. He wrote a book called Evangelism, short book, easy read. He gives five reminders in evangelism. I just want to walk through these briefly. I won't even make any comments because we've been here plenty of time. First off, he says, talk like an ambassador. Talk like an ambassador. You're talking on behalf of Christ. Secondly, think through conversation. Think through conversation. Be prepared. You're going to see somebody. How can I move this toward the gospel? Talk like an ambassador. Think through conversation. Be bold and confident. If you look at Ephesians 6, you'll see how Paul is stating his own boldness and confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ as an example to follow. Fourthly, as we've said already today, deliver the message and trust Christ for the results. Deliver the message and trust Christ for the results. I'll tell you how this works. Some of you guys are just so good about, uh, this is an example, you're so good about encouraging me on sermon preaching. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, some days where it's like, I feel like that was the worst sermon ever. And you tell me just how much it ministered to your soul. It reminds me again, like, well, it certainly wasn't me that was doing what needed to be done. And so when you share the gospel, go stumble all over yourself. Stumble. Don't worry about what happens or what is said. Leave the results up to Christ. You just be faithful to share the message. And then fifth, fifthly, 
Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Don't be discouraged. God's work will be done. Most assuredly, it will be done. Now, as we respond today, maybe there is one that doesn't know Christ, that doesn't have that reconciliation with God. You know your account before God is stained up and down through and through with your own sin, and you need the righteousness of Jesus to cover you. Today, you may respond by repenting of sin and placing your faith in Jesus. You'll have that salvation that we have spoken of today. You'll be a new creation in Christ. That's your response if that's you today. Furthermore, though, you remember that this letter is written to a church. And so Paul is writing here and he says, we implore you, be reconciled to God. And so, as you know from 1 Corinthians, it seems that there were some lingering doubts in Paul's mind about the state of these people. They wouldn't reconcile with one another. All kinds of divisions plagued them. And so there's a measure in which they are not walking in line with the reconciliation that they supposedly have from God. Maybe that's the call for you today. Is there a, a, a gap between you and God right now? Is there a, a hindrance? Is there something that you're unwilling to repent of? Repent of that today. Be reconciled to God. See that relationship restored. We're going to sing together in just a moment. Um, I'll be singing, so Kyle, can you, can you receive people that might respond today? Kyle will be down front to receive you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to speak on behalf of Christ, and not just an opportunity. We know from your word it is a responsibility.